This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. It's been nearly three years since a day many of us will never forget. A mob emboldened by Donald Trump tried to prevent Congress from certifying the 2020 presidential election at the U.S. Capitol. Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. They're requesting additional resources on the east side as they've broken into that window and they're trying to kick it in. I did not recognize my fellow citizens who stormed the Capitol on January 6th or the United States that they claim to represent. In Iraq, we expect their armed violence because we were in a war zone. But nothing in my experience in the Army or as a law enforcement officer prepared me for what we confronted in January 6th. The verbal assaults and disrespect we endured from the rioters were bad enough. I was falsely accused of betraying my oath. The rioters called me traitor. A disgrace and shouted that I, I, an army veteran and a police officer, should be executed. More than 500 rioters have been sentenced for their actions on January 6th. Over 300 are serving prison time. That's according to the latest numbers from the Department of Justice. So what does justice look like for the victims of the Capitol attack? Three years later, is our democracy any safer leading into the next election? This show is part of our Remaking America project that delves into the state of our democracy with six partner stations across the country. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called protein degradation. And if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. 
Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us from Virginia is former Capitol Police Sergeant Akalino Gonell. His memoir about what happened January 6th is called American Shield, the Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy. Sergeant Gonell, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me on your show. How were you expecting the day to unfold when you woke up on January 6th? Um. We planned the the day just uh, and expect everything to go according to what had happened in the past uh, with nonviolence um, and just uh, the certification of uh, of the normal process um, of um, the transfer of power. So it's, it was not something that we uh, expected, uh, and we we expected it to to be normal, not violent. When was the moment you realized this was unlike anything you'd seen before? Uh, when the radio calls on my police radio began to become uh, more frantic, um, and uh, as soon as, the, as I heard, send all unit, all the unit you have available to the West Front, and I knew it was going to be a bad day for us. Uh, once I got to the stage of the inauguration, of the inauguration, that that's when I saw the the, the people uh, running uh, towards the west front and attacking the police officer, and that's when I realized it's going to be a long freaking day. So, and it was. I can only imagine that during those five hours you defended the Capitol, you were at once confronted with just doing your job and defending the Capitol. But I would also imagine there was an emotional experience you were having, if not in that moment, then then later when you had time to, to think about what happened that day. Can you take us through that process? Um. It was. Uh, I, I didn't. It didn't dawn me right away. Right away, in terms of um, the magnitude of what was happening in, um, emotionally, uh, I tried to remain compor- composed and, and uh, do my job, and I and I did. Um, there were moments that you know, um, as a human being, uh, I was afraid. I was traumatized. Um, during the day, but it was for quick seconds in between here and there. Um, but I knew that a lot of the more people were um, depending on my actions. And um, as I speak in my book, American Shield, uh, the sign that defended democracy, I I mentioned these things uh, at length, uh, especially when I get home to my wife and, and my kid. Um, and and then subsequently uh, throughout all the events, um, but you know it, it's the mental uh, processing of the day events. 
uh, it took me a long time for me to to process them. And, and because of the PTSD, I I suffered uh, for a long time PTSD from the army, and then it was uh, aggravated again for by the event of January six. Uh, um, given the fact that I was all over the place uh, trying to assist and coordinate and help my not not only myself but my colleagues and defending the capital from from the mob. Um, as a result, I um, sustained multiple injuries. Uh, the most severe ones required surgeries. I had two surgeries, one on my right foot uh, and one on my left foot, um, sorry, my left um, uh, arm, um, you know, and it had taken me a, a long time to to regain my, my uh, dependency and, and my ability to do certain things. I'm glad that I'm able to uh, now. Uh, three years separation, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of um, um, perseverance, a lot of physical therapy, mental therapy. You know, so it, I had gained, regained uh, some of my uh, shortcomings um, as a result of that horrible day. Forty-three percent of Americans say too much has been made of the Capitol riot and it's time to move on. That's according to a December poll from the Washington Post and the University of Maryland. What do you say to people who think this event wasn't a big deal? Well, I think they first need to tell the former president to move on because he's running just uh, for president again just on that alone, on pardoning those who attack the police officer. Um, he's, in my opinion, uh, involved with what happened on January 6th. But they telling us, the officers and the people who suffer the consequences of that horrible day to move on. But they're not telling the guy who running for re-election on the big lie, on the assault on uh, on the Capitol to move on. Um, he's not proposing anything new to help the American people uh, or anybody else but himself. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, he called the the people, the, the rioters, the same people who assaulted the police officers, he called them hostages and patriots. You know, uh, last time I checked, I was one of the, of the officers who defended the Capitol. And if they, they are hostages, then what are we, the police officers? The bad guys, the sicarios, the sequesters, the hostage takers? I mean, we were the one authorized to be at the Capitol at that time. And, you know, it, it by him saying those things, along with the desecration of the... Uh, national anthem, because he now they modified the national anthem to include something uh, about the January 6th national anthem, a desecration to the national anthem, in my opinion, uh, and the flag when they emblem him, emblem his face on it, that's a desecration. But they don't see that uh, irony on itself. Uh, and I, again, if there are those things, then what does make us, the police officer who defended the, the Capitol, us that sacrificed our bodies and paid the consequence with 
blood, sweat, and tears, defending them and uh, and and, and uh, the members of Congress at that time. Uh, the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, just a couple of weeks ago said, yeah, "We want transparency." In the same breath of that he of the same sentence, he said, "We are the party of uh, law and order, uh, the rule of law." Let us blur out the faces of the rioters who were breaching the Capitol so the Department of Justice cannot identify and prosecute those same rioters who were hunting them down, those same rioters who were um, trying to assault us and, and injure us. It's insane the way they're treating the law, the police officer of the Capitol. That's Sergeant Ocalino Gonell. He's a former Capitol Police officer and author of the memoir, American Shield, the Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy. Sergeant, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. My pleasure. Coming up, we speak with the son of a Capitol rioter who tried to tell the FBI that his dad was plotting something. We'll be back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping services? Then give your business a competitive edge with USPS Ground Advantage. Keep things simple with upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. Turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation by adding two new voices. Andrea Bernstein, co-host of the podcast, will be wild about the forces that led to the January 6th insurrection. She's also author of the book American Oligarchs, The Kushners, The Trumps, and The Marriage of Money and Power. Andrea, welcome back. It's great to be back. Also with us, Barton Gelman. He's a contributing writer at The Atlantic Covering Democracy. He's also author of Dark Mirror, Edward Snowden and the American Surveillance State. Barton, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. Andrea, you've been covering Trump's legal woes for years now. When it comes to the insurrection, what did he do that day? Well, (laughs) uh, 
he did something that we all saw uh, because he gave a, a long speech that was televised. Uh, we learned a lot more about it in the January 6 hearings, uh, how he just that day, if the question is limited to that day, was still pressuring uh, the former vice president, Mike Pence, to not uh, certify the votes. Uh, there was a phone call in which he uh, was, was said to have screamed at the uh, vice president, uh, and in the words of uh, one of the witnesses at the January 6th hearings, called him the P-word uh, for not doing that. Uh, then he went to the rally at the Ellipse. Uh, there was dramatic testimony about at the January 6th hearings about how he tried to grab the steering wheel of his vehicle so he could be taken to the Capitol himself to participate. Uh, all of that has come out in the public record, much of it we've seen. However, actually, definitively, in a court of law, uh, where you have opposing parties sift out the evidence, we're still waiting to see. As of now, that case is scheduled to start in just about two months, although there's a lot of legal maneuvering yet to happen. So the date is at this time, still a little unstable. Uh, Barton, Trump is running for the GOP nomination in 2024, but Maine and Colorado blocked him from the GOP primary ballots for his involvement in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. He appealed those decisions, and the Supreme Court is expected to weigh in any day. What's the basis for Maine and Colorado's arguments? The basis is that the 14th Amendment, uh, in its third clause, uh, says that if anyone, having once served as an officer of the United States and having sworn an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, takes part in an insurrection, that person shall be uh, forever barred thereafter uh, from serving in any office of uh, honor or responsibility in the United States. And so uh, the court in Colorado and the Secretary of State in Maine uh, have found that Donald Trump did swear such an oath to the Constitution and did take part in insurrection against the United States and is therefore disqualified from the presidency, just as if he was not yet 35 years old, which is the only other requirement besides being a natural-born citizen. What precedent do these decisions by Maine and Colorado set for who's eligible to be on a presidential ballot? Well... Uh, it's never happened before. It, yeah. it, it is all about precedent. Uh, the uh, the question is, uh, who gets to decide whether someone has taken part in an insurrection, among other questions? Uh, there are technical legal arguments that may be very important here. For example, uh, Trump's side argues that the Constitution is not self-executing in this clause, that the only way it could be enforced is if Congress had passed legislation uh, affirming the same kind of a ban from higher office, and Congress did not do that. So there are all kinds of precedents that will be set when the Supreme Court uh, decides because this is a case of first impression. We're hearing from some of you today. Nina says, I'm in a state of fear and disbelief because Donald Trump, traitor-in-chief, is free to run for president again and in some polls is the leading candidate. He should be in prison for the rest of his life. Now, we should say, according to a poll released this week from the Washington Post and the University of Maryland, Republicans today are even more likely to absolve 
the former president, of responsibility for the U.S. Capitol attack than they were in 2021. The number of Republicans who believe Trump is responsible for the attack has decreased by almost half from 27 percent in 2021 down to just 14 percent in 2023. Andrea, how have we seen public opinion change over the last three years? Well, I think... (laughs) To the surprise of some, what we've seen is rather than people uh, have growing doubts in the wake of all of these uh, indictments and civil lawsuits against the former president about the, the, the former president and what happened on January 6th, we've been moving in the opposite direction, uh, that people are, seem to be more certain unswayable. Uh, There seems to be some 40% of the country that uh, is just uh, unwilling to believe the facts about what happened on January 6th and, you know, as this latest poll shows, will just sort of latch on to conspiracy theories. And, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen this sort of wavering attempts at at accountability. Uh, There's now the special counsel, Jack Smith, has brought Uh, these two big criminal cases, as we all know. Uh, But it took a long time. And while that was happening, the former president was communicating on social media, the uh, various right-wing media outlets, as well as a whole host of sort of conspiracy websites were promulgating lies. And at the same time, there were guardrails that were put in place right after January 6th that were supposed to sort of slow the kind of snowball effect of mis- and disinformation that can lead to violence. But there's been a very strong pushback uh, against that, uh, particularly among House Republicans and others. And as a result, there are very few breaks now. So it's not surprising that these views are solidifying and the former president, uh, when he uh, puts forth these, you know, clear lies, evasions, untruths, there is little to stop that from really just making the those who would believe that even more firm in their beliefs as we go into this election year. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation. Jackson Reffitt tipped off the authorities that his father, Guy Reffitt, planned to participate in the January 6th insurrection. Guy was found guilty of five felonies in August 2022, including armed trespassing and obstruction of an official proceeding. He's serving a seven-year sentence in prison. Jackson, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. Why did you decide to send in the tip to the FBI? Uh, mainly because of the really scary things my father was saying uh, a month or two to the lead-up of January 6th, how he's going to go into D.C. and do these things and uh, really uh, make it loud. And it was, uh, you know, unnerving. And me being 17, 18, uh, there's real no other better option. We've tried talking to him and we've tried discussing with him what to do, and it only leads to um, us being berated. Uh, me and my sisters from him. So uh, after months and months of anguish and uh, being nervous and paranoid, you know, I Googled FBI tip line, sent it in. Have you had the opportunity to speak with your father? In, in... No. 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 Uh, no, I'm, I, I don't believe I'm going to be able to at this point. Um, my father seemed to have fallen even more so down a path that uh, I was not really anticipating. Uh, and it's, uh, you know put even more distance between me and him. And when you say he's 
he's fallen down a, another path. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, he's, uh, you know, still in contact with these far-right groups. I mean, MAGA Americans is one. Um, he's still in contact with the J6 uh, vigil outside of the prison in D.C., uh, and it's worrisome. He's still pushing for these far-right extremist ideals that uh, that terrify me, that led him to where he, he got to in January 6th, and uh, it's not what I expected. You've been very vocal uh, about your experience. I'd have to imagine that it's cost you in in a number of ways, not just losing the relationship with your father, but have you felt safe? Um, you know, time heals everything. You know, people stop paying attention as much, and it's gotten better. But you know, i I used to i i I used to just wake up in the middle of the night and just like freak out and look out the window. I, I don't even know why, but it it killed me for a long time. Uh, the threats online, the million messages I was getting about what a traitor rat I am. And, uh, you know, it it did suck, um, but it's gotten a lot better. I want to play a clip of your sisters, Peyton and Sarah, speaking to reporters after hearing your father's sentence. To mark my dad as this horrible person, and then having him prosecuted like this, when somebody is maybe even able to get elected again, um, doesn't seem right to me. Um, Trump deserves life in prison if my father's in prison for this long. Jackson, your court sentenced your dad to seven years in prison for igniting the crowd, which is exactly what many people have accused Trump of doing. How responsible do you hold the former president for igniting the crowd that day? Oh, 100%. 100%. My sister did an amazing job being so blunt with it. There's no other way to put it other than the man who manipulated my father and the thousands of people that went there that day deserves a sentence beyond imaginable for the lives he's destroyed and the families he's ruined. Elizabeth in Florida messages, everybody is talking about whether Trump committed an insurrection or participated in one, but this was already determined by Congress in the impeachment hearings. They found him guilty of participating in an insurrection. Why is this even an issue now? And why aren't people remembering this? We'll be back with more in a moment. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping services? Then give your business a competitive edge with USPS Ground Advantage. Keep things simple with upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. Turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping services? Then give your business a competitive edge with USPS Ground Advantage. Keep things simple with upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. Turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. 
I want to return to the message we got from Elizabeth in Florida, who talked about the congressional hearings and saying they found him guilty of participating in an insurrection. Andrea, what did the congressional hearings do and, and what couldn't they do? Well, they didn't have the power to find him guilty because they have no criminal power. Uh, but let me also just say, by the way, hello to Jackson. Uh, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, and for those of you who want to know more of his story, uh, Jackson, Reffert, uh, Jackson Reffert spoke to us generously as, at length, as did the, the rest of his family for the podcast, Will Be Wild. Uh, as to the January 6th hearings, what they really did was shine a very, very bright spotlight on what had happened. And the history of this committee was that uh, basically Republicans in Congress after January 6th blocked efforts to create a bipartisan uh, committee. And what we ended up with was a select committee appointed by the then Speaker Nancy Pelosi, which did include two Republicans, but they were Republicans who were shunned by their party for their outspokenness. But what that meant is you have something very unusual for Congress, which is a unified committee. And they called all kinds of witnesses, witnesses who were with the former president on January 6th, who saw him watch TV, uh, watch the, the rioters as they were happening, as it was in progress. And by bringing this huge volume of evidence, which, you know, they sort of highlighted in their, their public hearings, but all of them have this long report. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of deposition transcripts, which are online and made public. They, without a doubt, put pressure on the Justice Department to take action. So the question of guilt or innocence in a criminal sense is is still up in the air, but we certainly know a great deal more, uh, which is obviously, you know, really a service to history, that we had all these facts in the record when memories were still fresh. Also just want to say as to this issue of uh, Trump blame, I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, studying the cases, studying the defenses of many of the people who were convicted. And you see this over and over again, people who are saying, their families who are saying they regret so much that they listened to the words of the former president. And it's a pattern with Donald Trump. I mean, I wrote a a book called American Oligarchs about the history of the Trump family business. And so often Trump brought people in to help him advance his schemes. And then they were left taking the blame, sometimes criminally. I mean, his former campaign manager, who he pardoned, uh, was convicted of crimes. Uh, His... uh, other people who were in his campaign, his former lawyer was convicted of crimes. Uh, just recently, about a little over a year ago, his former chief financial officer was convicted of crimes. This is a pattern with Trump. People who he brings in take the blame, and he so far has not been held accountable in that way. Jackson, what do you think accountability looks like for people who participated in the insurrection? Um, you know, that's hard to say. It's from person to person, I think. I mean, I initially thought that my dad really felt his accountability in trial. He, you know, he he expressed his grievances and his regret. He told the judge, you know, I'm never going to be involved in any of that again. But, uh, you know, cut forward a couple years later and my father's, you know, more involved in prison than I think he ever was. Uh, And that's scary. Um, people like his own wife, my mother, uh, have pushed him in regret that he he didn't go hard enough. 
And that's scary. That really shows the polarization that's been caused in all this. And, uh, you know, from my experience, you know, showing accountability has been a hard thing when it comes to my dad. Uh, he doesn't blame Trump. And he seems he doesn't, bl- he doesn't really blame his, himself. And that's really hard. You're coming at this experience from both a, a deeply personal perspective, but also as someone who who participates in our democracy, um, as a citizen, as a voter. How has this experience shaped the way you think about the U.S. as a democracy? That it's so fragile. Um, that it is so easily tilted by one man, specifically. And that's scary. But it's also given me more passion about it than ever. I'm more, I'm more involved. I go vote. I do, I do my process. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it has helped me appreciate what it is, but it's also made me more wary. In what way? Um, and how just a simple group of people can overthrow a capital like that and more or less embarrass the whole nation and, you know, ruin the lives of thousands of families in a matter of a day. And it's, it's off-putting, I guess. It's, it's uh, alien. I don't know. That's Jackson Reffitt. He tipped the FBI off to his father, Guy Reffitt, who's now in prison for participating in the Capitol riot. Jackson, thank you for speaking with us. Of course. Thank you. Andrea, for your podcast, Will Be Wild, you spoke with Danelle Harvin, a local intelligence officer, uh, official rather in D.C., and here's what he told you about the warnings he received ahead of January 6th and the breakdown between intelligence gathering and acting on that information prior to the riot. It's for me. It's not about stopping what's coming. It's about it's about painting a proper threat environment picture and preparing our jurisdiction for what we thought was to come. Intel and operations are two different things, right? So our our job is to just talk. We don't do if that makes any sense. So. You know, it's kind of like your mom saying, hey, it's cold outside. Don't leave without a scarf. That's the intelligence. You're the operation. You make a decision to follow that or not. Andrea, what are you hearing from the intelligence community now about the lessons they took away from January 6th? Yeah, well, there's a lot of alarm. And I and it, it goes to something we were just sort of speaking about a little earlier, which is that... Uh, you know, a lot of the ways that these lies are spread, as we know, is through social media. And the social media environment, uh, especially uh, with Elon Musk controlling Twitter, he has allowed on, I mean, he allowed Donald Trump back on after he was banned after uh, uh, January 6th. Uh, many other white supremacists uh, have been allowed back on Twitter. And the guardrails that were put in place in government were basically sort of shouted down by the Republican Party who objected to it as uh, infringement on the First Amendment. And and that is still going on. There's, in fact, a case going to the Supreme Court this term uh, called Missouri v. Biden about whether the federal government is allowed to uh, intervene when it sees the kinds of hate speech that it believes can lead to violence. So what you have is this sort of Wild West social media environment right now. Uh, and there, 
you know, many of the people that we spoke to for our podcast were very clear, uh, intelligence experts as well as Homeland Security, high-level officials, former high-level officials who said, it is clear to us, we can map the ways that this kind of language leads to violence. And they prescribed a number of things, and, and there were attempts early in the Biden administration to put those in place, but mostly, for the most part, they've been dismantled. So we're left in a very vulnerable situation going into this year, and counterbalancing that, you know, what you have is, you know, I think one of the things uh, that we learned in the course of putting together our podcast is, you know, one of the questions we asked ourselves right away was, you know, why was the Department of Homeland Security, whose job it is to prevent domestic terrorism, asleep with the wheel? Why did the FBI not act more forcefully on the warnings that it was receiving? That was sort of what the Dar- Donnell Harvin was speaking to in the clip that we, that we just heard. And one of the reasons is, is because the, one of the chief offenders, one of the people that they had been trained to respond to this kind of person, was also the commander-in-chief at the time. And that put them in this uh, really <laughs> uh, extremely difficult position of having to sort of respond to the person who was their boss, who was at the top of the government. Now that person uh, is saying things very clearly. I mean, there was just a story in NPR today about the number of times that he's talked about uh, pardoning people like Jackson Reffitt's father, Guy Reffitt, and all the others. Uh, he said as recently as November that uh, they are the ones that should be freed and the the cops uh, that were defending the Capitol should go to jail. I have covered Trump for a very long time, uh, both of his presidential campaigns, and uh, when he says stuff, he means it. So I think, you know, we are in a situation where he is creating a landscape where people who were convicted of participating in a violent attack on the Capitol are being told you will not be held accountable. Mm -hmm. You will be free uh, if I am elected president. That's Andrea Bernstein. She co-hosted the podcast, Will Be Wild, about the forces that led to the January 6th insurrection. Today's show is part of our Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations across the country. It's funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producers were Anna Casey and Emilce Quiroz. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. 
Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.